Welcome to another edition of Unplug It as we gear up towards round eight. We spoke last week about needing a response and we certainly got that. The jury's probably out as to whether we're absolutely back in town. We'll probably need to see it over a sustained period, but it ticked every box that it needed to tick with a 69-point demolition of Hawthorne, a game that appeared over within the first 10 or so minutes. It was very difficult to see that result going any other way than the way it did once that game got going. In in fairness, looking at Hawthorne, they're a side that is generally fairly competitive but lacks a bit of class, and, and they lost a bit of that polish leading into the game with uh, Burgoyne and O'Meara and, and Wingard out of that side. But in saying that, it was their biggest loss in four years, so we obviously did plenty right to smack them around the way we did. It was a ruthless first quarter, and they kept the foot down the whole way through. Everybody that needed a response, guys like Brad Hill especially and, and Zach Jones and players like that, Gave us that response. Uh, Butler found his form again as well, uh, and everything sort of ticked along pretty smoothly. We now play a, or have face a crunch game against the Gold Coast Suns to try to square our season away at four and four before we get a couple of Marvel Stadium blockbusters against Geelong and the Bulldogs. So the season could go either way from here, but we are alive again, and it feels like there's a little bit of a pulse. Uh, Nick, your assessment of that, it was a, a pretty comfortable watch. I know that hasn't always been the case this year, but um, you can never be that confident as a St Kilda supporter, but it did seem 10 minutes into the game that there was no way we were going to get beaten in that. Yeah, it did seem like we were switched on from the get-go, but I mean, I, I'm not going to lie, there were flashbacks to uh, you know 21 or 22 years ago, 1999 at, at Waverley against Hawthorne when you know they kick a couple in a row and all of a sudden that, that lead that we have doesn't seem as as big or as a, a mammoth task as it, as it might have a few minutes earlier. Um, you know, whenever whenever we go out to a, a get out to a, a decent lead against Hawthorne, I, I think back to that that game. But, um, you know, I think for the, the first time all season, it really was a you know, a full four-quarter performance from pretty much everybody on on the field. Um, there weren't really any passengers and, you know, it was just, just really good to see us, you know, put that, Together, you know, we we won every quarter, um, which was nice to see. Given we, you know, we'd only won you know, five or six for the for the season before that, um, and uh, you know, it was. I, I would have liked it at at some point to have put the foot down, and, and you know, we could have could have made that ten or eleven goal win into a into a fourteen fifteen goal win. You know, hundred points, hundred twenty points. I think that was on the cards at times. We were, we were playing that type of footy. But whether you know we took our foot off the off the pedal a little bit, or whether Hawthorne, you know, worked their way into it, there were some some moments when they they kicked a couple of goals in a row towards the end of quarters. Uh, but like I said, you know, you win you win all four quarters, um, and you get yourself, you know, into that position. It's it's pretty hard to complain. H, your assessment of that. Um... Yeah, I must admit, when, it, when, when Hawthorne kicked two on half-time, and I think we were 43 points up, I thought, geez, it'd be, it'd be nice if we could kick the first of the third just to uh, just to avoid any nerves. And I think we did it within a minute, and I'm like, yeah, we'll be all right now. But um, did you sort of see it as a fairly comfortable watch? Well, as Nick's saying, it was a four-quarter effort. Um, and, yeah, winning four quarters when the previous six rounds, I think we'd won five quarters for the whole year. It's... It, it's a complete change in direction when you look at it and thinking, I mean, yes, Hawthorne were missing a number of players and people calling them box Hill and all that sort of thing. But Clarkson can almost lift any team on any day. If he wants that it was all the week before the Adelaide kicked 10 goals against them in a quarter and they still lost it. Yeah. Any, any win against Hawthorne is still a reasonable win. And to get back, peg back one of the three big defeats we've had with a, bit of percentage we go back up to as we saw exactly 80 percent um yeah it's nice to tick one off now um if we just won by 15 20 points or whatever you're sort of thinking okay we won but that extra percentage is a very very helpful thing going forward yeah, we need a couple of those beltings. And as Nick said, obviously a 100-point win would have been nice um, to to really eat into that. But, um, yeah, at least we're down three floggings. We're now down two. Um, 
but yeah, it depends which way you want to look at it. You could sort of say, well, we we could have been you know competitive in those games and then gained percentage here, but uh, we, we've got to work with what we can work with at the moment. And yeah, Hawthorne's two wins this year. They were 41 points down in one of them and 32 points down in the other. So there was always that little nerve, but I just felt that they were probably lacking the, the polish and our effort was good. I mean, that smother from Brad Hill is one of the, the highlights of the season. You want to see players do that sort of thing. Um, Jack Higgins is having, a, I guess, a low-key, pretty good season. He's kicked multiple goals in every game. I think he's kicked 14 in, in seven matches or thereabouts and kicked four in the second half. So, yeah, I think he's been a, a pretty sound investment. So that, that's, um, that was pleasing. Max King, again, taking some good marks, but we just got to get him to straighten up. Two goals, four from him. Um, and, yeah, it was good. I know we'll get to the votes later, but it's probably the first time since round one that Jack Steele hasn't been in the best three, which is a... a he was still good. He played a very solid game, but it's it's a great position to at least have others just stepping up and taking that mantle. Um, guys like Clark and Cockfield are sort of getting better as the season goes along. So really important game this week, which we'll preview a bit later on. But Nick, it gives us the chance if we can win this game just to get back on an even keel at four and four and you feel that you're kind of in control of your own season a bit more after that. It's hugely important. I mean, obviously, every win is is important. But right now, we're we're coming off the back of of uh, you know a pretty decent win over Hawthorne. And and if nothing else, then this week gives us the opportunity to to get back to fifty fifty. You know, an even an even record. And and you know, the following week, we we have an opportunity to to get in the positive win loss record. So it's it's a massive game. Um, you know, aside from the fact that you know we play pretty well. Up in Queensland, we, we spent a fair bit of time there last year, as, as everybody knows, and and you've heard heard a few of the guys this week talk about going back to their their second home you know, up north, which is which is fun, um, and, and it seems like they like playing up there. They they know the ground pretty well. They can they play the ground uh, fairly well. So you know, it's, it's it's a hugely important game for us. You know, I think in terms of getting our season back back on track, but also you know to to be able to build that confidence from from a, a decent win this week. We're playing from a fair way back after a few of those disappointing losses earlier in the year, um, so it's it's a massive game. And basically, I think we look back now as the probably the biggest inclusion to the team, Paddy Ryder. Uh, uh, the difference he made last week. I mean, yeah, he had seven touches. We were seeing a lot of these ruckmen running around getting twenty, twenty-five touches these days. 35 hitouts, which I don't know what percentage of them went to our advantage. I mean, that one tap that he put down Steele's throat and he ran straight out of the centre, you just look at it and go, how much we have missed that? He's it, a master. Just that a- first usage is such a big thing in any game. I mean, if, he, if he's giving us that sort of service every week, you win more games than you lose. Yeah, and we got the benefit of Marshall playing, going forward and kicking two set shot goals by being able to start forward with Ryder in the ruck. So he's giving us an armchair right in the middle and, and Marshall can be dangerous in other areas. So, yeah, the, the partnership of those two, it makes an enormous difference to our team. Yeah, it, it really does make an enormous difference. You know, I, I stand by the fact, and, we, and we've discussed on, on previous shows, that I, I think... Rowan Marshall is is the most important player and and most valuable player to the way that we want to play and and to our game style and to our structure. But what Paddy Ryder allows him to do around the ground and up forward and and even you know playing a, a you know dropping behind the ball if if we need him to, Paddy Ryder is is elite at his craft and and you know the the ruck contest there there is very few ruckmen in, in the competition ever I think that are that are a lot better than Paddy. Um, there might be some that are a little bit better, but there's very few. He's he's an elite cap ruckman, and and the advantage that he gives our midfielders, um, you know, first use of the ball at, at a ruck contest is is immense, and allowing you know Rowan Martel to spend time forward, and in you know whether he can contest the contest the ball in the air and and take a mark and kick a goal, or whether he brings the ball to ground and and you know gives the likes of Butler and and Higgins. A chance to to win the ball at ground level, you know, it's hugely important. Yeah, Paddy Ryder playing in in any of our grand finals in ninety seven, oh nine, and ten is is probably the difference in in all of those games, I would think. Yeah, and I, I was going to say I've just found that 
looking at what he did on the weekend, uh, he won sixty seven percent of the contests he went to, which is elite, and thirty seven percent of those were to advantage, which is well above average. So it just shows the basically if you get a ruckman in like that, that can he takes he probably takes two thirds of the contests in the middle with. Um, Marshall being down forward in those other times, so I he it's come back first game. He's not completely match fit yet, but if yeah, he moves on from there and gives us that sort of service and gets better as the year goes on. Um, yeah, we're very well placed. Yeah, cohesion between ruck and midfield important too, because obviously we've spoken about it a number of times that Brody Grundy's continuing to dominate the ruck, but getting no link up with his midfield whatsoever. Whereas uh, we saw with with Ryder and, and in the times Marshall was in there that we did too. And um, our next guest who we'll, we'll hear from shortly, Justin Kaczynski, probably some similarities to Rowan Marshall uh, in the sense that they were probably noted as being better forwards, but spent a fair bit of time in the ruck and they're probably at their best when they're combining both of those roles with another genuine ruckman, as is the case with, with Marshall. So um, we'll chat to Cozzy about his time in the ruck and a few other things, obviously with a, a fairly eventful career. Um, a little bit later on, uh, again, a lot of players played pretty well out of that game on Saturday. Uh, in fact, there was probably hardly a passenger, even guys that we've been a bit critical of, like Dara Joyce did a few good things and certainly did a job. Um, and I must admit, I felt bad because uh, when I first saw him get the footy, I actually forgot he was playing. I thought he'd been dropped uh, in the week leading up to the game. But when he was still there, I thought, OK, uh, he, he's going OK. But uh, won't quite get a vote, but but Nick, where did you put your uh, your three, two, one out of the Hawthorne game? Yeah, I found the votes quite tough. Tough this week. There are a few guys that I wanted to give a, an honourable mention to. Uh, Jack Higgins, I thought was was very impressive up forward. Um, one thing that I, I hadn't really noticed before was was how strong he is in the air and and how strong he is in general. But you know, it seems like the the playing group has real trust to, to kick to Jack Higgins in the air uh, and allow him to contest the mark and, and not just contest at ground level. But, you know, there are a few times on the weekend that it looked like they weren't just kicking it to him as a spot up lead, but they're also kicking it to him in a contest and, and allowing him to, you know, fight for, for, for that, that ball in the air. The other honorable mention, uh, Brad Crouch, I think it was probably his best game for the club um, in, in his short time. You know, it was just, just a bull, in the middle and, and at the contest and uh, you know, very hard to move off the ball in, in, in clearance situations. Um, but you know, one vote I gave to Jack Sinclair, I thought the way that he moved the ball, his positioning across half back and, and the way that he uh, moved through the middle of the ground through the wing and, and, and delivered the ball up forward was, was very impressive and um, probably his best game for the, the year so far. Difficult to split the, the two and the three votes, but um yeah, you know, I think ultimately go with the, the consensus, I think. But Brad Hill, you know, finally showed what he's capable of on the offensive side of the ball, the, the way that he ran and, and burst through the middle once he'd, once he'd won possession, you know, was, was really dynamic. Um, and, and his delivery to leading forwards was was immense. Um, but not just that, but his, his work rate around the ground, his chasing and tackling, um, his defensive pressure um, when, when he didn't have the ball and, and when... Uh, when Hawthorne forwards and, and wingers had the ball was was very very good, you know we we've all seen that the smother in the first quarter I think it really set the tone for for Hill and and how you know he has to go about it um, and the way I think that that all the boys got around him after that that smother uh, was kind of indicative of of you know how important he is to to the way that we want to play um, and and Zach Jones you know with the silk. Miller medalist. He was, in my eyes, clearly the, the best player on the ground. 37 touches, kicked a couple of goals. He was everywhere. Um, never stopped running for four quarters. Um, was, yeah, clearly the best on ground. So so three votes for Zach Jones. H, your, uh, your three, two, one. Yeah, sometimes I think like, you need to give down a 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. <laughs> it can be really, really rough some weeks. Um, hard in front of those other games. <laughs> uh, well, some weeks can give one vote and that'll be it. Um, one I've actually given to Jack Bytel. Um, he 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 has to be a permanent figure in the team now. Oh, yeah. There's no yeah. way he's dropped. Um, leading clearances, leading tackles. So he's in there doing the stuff in the middle as a young kid, and he's doing it well. He that that position should not be changed for the rest of the season. You he cannot be dropped. If he has an off day, so be it. 
Yep. Keep I said that last week. Game, mm. game experience is what is going to make him the great player he could be because there's so much potential there going ahead. So gave him the one and yeah, two to Brad Hill, as I saying, first quarter, you're thinking, wow, this is what we expected. This is, this is the football that we thought we're bringing across. Um, I think he spoke to or had a message from Nicky Wimar during the week or something saying, just keep, Keep your eye out, uh, keep out of the media or whatever. Don't listen to anything. Go out and play your own game. That's basically what he told him. And that's exactly what he did. He showed us that, yep, this is what I can do. And yeah, it, if we can get that week in, week out, that would be fantastic. So, um, and three, Zach Jones, clearly best on ground. Um, a couple of great goals. Ball on a string. It, it, it was, yeah, just great to watch someone and found it weird not giving Jack Steele any votes. <laughs> yeah, I loved um, I loved Bytel's game. There was a couple of blind turns in the middle and just some mm. of the, the poise that he had. We saw that against West Coast as well. And that we just have – we've got guys that, with all due respect, have been sort of journeymen on the list that are solid players, but they can't do that. Um, and, and he's already sort of showing that – you know, he's got tricks that the other players don't have. So you just got to keep persevering with him. He's a, he's a very good player. I thought Ryan Burns was good too. He looked a bit in his first game last year against Adelaide, sort of a bit out of his depth slightly, but he was very comfortable this time in his second game, 18 possessions and nine marks. So he was pretty solid. Um, a lot of apologies to Jack Steele, certainly an apology. He was a, a good enough player to be around the mark. I thought Ross was good. I thought Crouch was good. Higgins good. Bytel good. But I gave one vote to Hunter Clark. Kicked two tremendous goals, but had up you know high 20s in possessions. Used the ball well. Showed that poise that we're used to seeing from him. Um, two votes to Brad Hill. Yeah, the, the run and carry. A couple of times where he took them on through the middle with pace. And what you really want to see him doing uh, with that work rate. And, and yeah, Zach Jones, I mean, he had 24 in the first half, uh, finished with 37. He set the game up completely. Um, so, yeah, of our, uh, two of our new recruits from last year, Jones and, and Hill, played probably their best games for the club. Um, Jack Higgins probably played his best game for the club as well, and Butler would have been close. So it was good to get that out of those new recruits. So really strong performance from uh, from those guys. So, yeah, for me, one Clark, two Hill, and three to Zach Jones. So... Hunter Clark, where where do you guys see his his best position? I mean, I think over over the course of his career so far, you know, his his best footy has been played across half back on, on the wing. Um, you know, I think we we all love to see him in the middle and the and the idea of you know in in a year or two partnering Hunter Clark with with Jack Bytel and and some of those other guys in the middle of the ground is is really tantalising. But you know, I, I'm not sure that that his best position is is in the middle anymore. And and yeah. You know, it could be that that his best football will come from half back or, or on a wing. Mm, yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. It's it's a, it's a good dilemma potentially to have one of those one of those ones where you've got um, you know multiple layers and multiple options. It was good to see Nick Caulfield go forward and kick a goal. He, the only other goal he's kicked in his career was in his first game. Mm. Um, so first game against the Crows a few years ago, and then a goal here in in this one. So. Um, yeah, that, that was that was all fairly pleasing. And, um, yeah, I can't imagine there'd be too many changes, but we'll get to that shortly. Our special guest played exactly 200 games for the Saints. That is Justin Kaczynski. Kicks to the hot spot, gearing the target. Oh, Kaczynski from the side. The run provided by Del Sando. Goes down the middle, the target. Kaczynski, strong hands. Gearing, tight angle, no support. Handballs to space. Oh, what a goal that is! Brilliant by Kaczynski! That pendulum swinging back St Kilda's way. Now can Kaczynski mark it? So 50, he can! Well, our next guest, we reflect back on the end of the year 2000. St Kilda were in a really difficult spot, having just won the Wooden Spoon. They signed Malcolm Blight as head coach. They recruited the likes of Fraser Gehrig and Aaron Hamill. And they had picks one and two in the draft. They would take Nick Rewald and Justin Kaczynski, who were quickly dubbed as the Twin Towers. Justin Kaczynski would win a Rising Star Award in his first season in 2001. But it would be a pretty eventful year 
with the departure of Malcolm Blythe and various other things happening over the course of that year. But it was a great journey through exactly 200 games for the club. And Cosy joins us. Nice to uh, catch up with you again, mate. Yeah, lads. Thanks for having me. Now, that first year, so you've arrived at the club from Brocklesby. Um, can you take us through what that year was like? You you played in defence uh, where uh, you, you obviously worked your way through and won the Rising Star in your debut season, but there'd be a coaching change. The other of the early recruits, Nick Rewalt, would miss most of the year with injury, but can you take us through that start? It was pretty eventful. Yeah, it was, it was pretty eventful. It was a bit of a whirlwind and uh, a baptism of fire to, to go to an AFL club and have Malcolm Blight that we thought that was the Messiah of coaching and, um, you know, to have Fraser come from the Eagles and Aaron Hamill come from Carlton, two very successful clubs in the nineties. And we were really like looking back on it, really blessed to have two mentors like that to teach us how to compete and, you know, teach us how to go about it. So, and, and they're still great mentors today, those blokes. But, um, I think, uh, the name escapes me, Nesty. Tim Elliott broke his collarbone round two um, of that year, and I played in the twos that week, and um, I got my start in the in the ones and uh, round three. And um, yeah, Malcolm Blight chucked me at centre half back, and never played in the back line of my life, and things just unfolded from there. Cosie, what was the draft process like for you? Obviously, you and and Rui Nikriwat were the two consensus best key forwards or key position players in the draft. Um, what was that process like for you? And, and had you spoken to the club? Did you know that they were going to take you with pick two? What what had the club told you before draft day? Um, no, they didn't tell us much right up to it. I, I was pretty oblivious to it, mate. I was, I was playing the Murray Bush Rangers and uh, just I was just cruising around and happy to be getting a game. And uh, it probably wasn't until after the draft camp that, that the Saints let us know and I think about 10 days before, uh, Brian Waldron and John Beveridge drove up to the farm. They, they, did, a, they did an 800K round trip. Um, Mum cooked them a roast and they sat at the kitchen bench. They gave me a, uh, they gave me a St Kilda jumper and said, we're going to take you. Um, we're going to take you and Nick, number one and two. And that was a week before, but they swore us to death and we, we couldn't tell anybody. And, and um yeah, that was it. But it was they. We offered them a bed that night. I remember Mum and Dad offering them a bed, but they drove back to Melbourne. Uh, they were there probably an hour and um, said we're going to take her, and and off they went back. Now you played most games of the first season, so you basically came in round three and then played the entire season after that. Only three wins, so obviously it was a pretty lean season for the club. But at the end of the season, you came up against. Hawthorne, Hawthorne finals bound, managed to pip him right after the siren. Uh, it, it was a te- yeah, I was going to say the team was basically half the side was missing with injuries. How big was that win for the club and going forward from there on? Yeah, look, it was pretty huge. Obviously, uh, Tomo had taken over after about round 14 or 15. Um, and we we uh, we got smacked around, and then yeah, to come up against the Hawks at the G, um, oh, which is a bit vague now, mate. It's twenty years ago. Uh, yeah, Hawley kicked the goal after the siren, and it was um, I think I think it was just 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 reward for Tomo and and what he was trying to build and the, the group that he was bringing forward. And I, I think it was well known that that Hawley was on his way out and he wouldn't be there anymore or well, the following year. And it sort of, I suppose, instilled that we could mix it with the big boys and and went into the pre-season in 2003 and, and started a campaign that launched us into, you know, prelim finals in 04 and 05 and on the road to a, a, a pretty culturally sound club. You had some injuries over the course of your career. The first significant one was, I think, a back setback in your second year in, in 02 after you'd played some early rounds. Can you take us through that? I imagine you're probably still growing at that stage, which would make a back injury a, a pretty significant issue. But that, uh, that saw you miss the majority of 2002. Yeah, I think um, when, I, when I got there, I was, you know, 6'5 and uh, not very heavy. They used to chuck me up to see which way the wind was blowing. And... <laughs> 
Um, I, I think after that year, just a, a huge workload, 20, 20 senior games um, as a young kid with, with not much physical development, really. Um, so 2002, I really focused on putting some weight on and, and being able to mix. So I remember I, I knew we were going to play Carlton in round one in 2002, and uh, Tomo said, you, you, you're going to be at centre-half back. So I knew Lance Whitnell was one of the premier forwards in the – in the league, and I really set myself that pre the whole preseason just to put some weight on, be able to physically mix it with with the likes of Lance Franklin. But I think I took it too far and and put four maybe eight or nine kilos on that preseason, and then didn't work on my core, and um, yeah, my back started started failing me, and by round four, you know, I couldn't bend over to pick up the ball and. Um, got diagnosed with a stress fracture and then ended up missing that whole year after that round four. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a good learning curve. You mentioned coming to the club, obviously with the, the coaching messiah, as, as you said, Malcolm Blight, and then Tomo takes over, you know, three quarters of the way through the season. What was that transition like for the, the playing group and what was that like for you personally? Uh, look, look, I was a really ignorant 18-year-old kid um, I, I didn't really understand what it, what it took to be an AFL coach or a mentor. Um, it, uh, I, I can remember getting the phone call when when Blighty got the sack, and I, my first initial thoughts was, yeah. can't believe what what this club's doing. They've just gone and spent a couple of million bucks on a coach that's going to you know lead us out of out of the dark dark ages and and do this, and they've, they've sacked him. So I, it was. It's a bit of a blur. I, I didn't really understand. Um, Tomo took over and the rest is history. And it's obviously the, the right decision was made. So, yeah, as you're saying, Tomo came, came in and started winning reasonable amounts of games. Um, 2003 finished off with a really good run. Uh, won five of the last seven matches of the season and basically just missed out in finals. And then launch into 2004 and win, win the preseason cup, then basically reverse those four teams, play them again, win those four, but yeah, finish up with 10 straight to start the season. How, how was the feeling at the club at that point, thinking, okay, we're sitting top 10 from 10. Where were you, how sort of, where were you looking towards going, is it just still one week at a time? We're still going, we're definitely not where we want to be yet, or is it, where you're sort of thinking, okay, look, we, we are the best out there at the moment and who, everyone else can chase us? Uh, look, I think I think we would have been pretty excited and knowing that we could mix it with the best. But, you know, going back when Tomo took over, he was he's a genius at, um, I think, judging character. And he really built the culture of that place and he went out and, uh, you know, Hawley left and, and Spider Everett left and arguably probably the Saints' best two players at the, at the time. But, you know, he knew that he needed to build again and went and recruited the likes of And, you know, that draft's phenomenal. Del Sano, Montagna, Ball, Xavier Clark, Joey. Uh, I said Joey. Who else was in that? Justin Gray, I think. Yeah, and then, and then Goddard the next year. And he just sort of added really good people with values and morals and um, a little bit of spunk about them too. So we we went into that 04 campaign. I think we probably exceeded our own expectations by by being 10 and 0, um, but knew we could mix it with the best. And um, what happened that year? Did we uh, Brisbane smacked us in the final up there, I yeah. think. Yeah. And he lost the port in the prelim by a kick, yeah. So... Um, yeah, I think it was uh, it was lambs of the slaughter. I think the Brisbane were a season campaign with with all their with their aging list, and and we went up there pretty cocky, and we're going to win a first final, and and it, they just they, they smacked us around. So you know, and then the prelim comes along, we lose by a goal, and we lick our wounds. Now, for most of your career, you so a lot of people noted you for for playing key forward and as that sort of foil in the front half, but. Uh, you obviously played back early in your career. You spent a lot of time in the ruck. Uh, one of the great periods of your career was that purple patch in 05 where you played as a ruck forward, got 11 Brownlow votes in four games. You went into the ruck in the 2010 grand final as well, which was really important. Um, 
in terms of how you assess your own career and, and positions, did you always want to play forward? Did you embrace playing in the ruck? Um, could you have settled down back perhaps for more of your career? How did you sort of assess where you felt you played your best footy and maybe where you wanted to play? Um, yeah, I, I think I was fortunate. I had a few strings to my bow that, and it probably kept getting me a game that I could that I could play in a number of positions. I sort of was never a two hundred centimetre ruckman. You know, I was never really a key forward, that explosive full forward, um, and I was never really a bona fide backman. Um, probably too smart and clever to be a bona fide punching backman. But, um, yeah, I, I think I played my best footy when there was a mixture of both to play forward and pinch hit in the ruck. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned that period, but it, it's playing, playing as a key forward can be a lonely position. Um, sometimes it, the opportunities don't come your way and, you know, you might run 13, 14 Ks a game and touch the ball 10 times and, and not get too many opportunities. So I was fortunate enough to be able to to pinch hit as that second ruckman. But I, I definitely think my my best footy was as as a forward pinch hitting ruckman. So I don't know what you want to call that, boys. <laughs> Whatever you want. That's almost the, the modern ruck, isn't it? It's like you know you look at guys like Brody Grundy and, and Max Gorn, guys that can contest the ruck contest and and then get around the ground and impact on the scoreboard, isn't it? They blokes are bona fide. They're, they're 200 centimetre big bulls that play in the ruck and now they've just adopted to be rovers. <laughs> we weren't that school for an hour day. Talk about that that four-week period. And, and you know, Rui had just gotten injured for the second time and, and you moved into the ruck and, and I think you kicked 16 goals in, in four weeks uh, playing as a, as a hybrid ruck forward. What, what was it that clicked for you during that period that, that made you so dominant? Um, I remember sitting down with Tomo and, and having a chat and, you know, Rui had gone down and he, and he, he called me in the office and he said, I'm going to make you captain. And I, I, I didn't know where to look. I thought he was taking the piss and thought he was having a laugh. But he said, no, you're going to be captain over this next period and I want you to lead the team the way you want to lead it and, um, and do what you want. So I just – I feel an immense um, – an immense uh, responsibility to go out and do that. And, you know, it's almost like everything else got put first and, and not my own form. So I just had to do what I had to do and and that happened. And then, I, unfortunately, that, that run came to an end over at Freya when I did my quad and then missed the finals. And, um, you know, and then 2006 was a, was a real disaster. So, you know, that, that got stopped and... Um, I'm really proud of the way that I fought back after after 2006 to uh, to come back and play some footy. But um, I suppose that doesn't answer your question. But um, I just felt responsibility that uh, that I had to look after the lads. You mentioned a captaincy and GT, and he had the rotating captain's policy. And under that, as a player, how did you find? changing from one to another from season to season and did, did you feel that as one step back they still were a leader and you were able to go to them still and uh, as a leader of the team yeah so that that was the whole philosophy of it that uh that, that someone could step up and have the responsibility and then the next year they they wouldn't change as a person or the player i'm not sure if it was the right or the wrong thing but um, had the chance to play under some some great guys. I think Hamill might have been the first one. Hamill, Lenny, Rui, Luke Ball, 2006. And then Rossi came in in 2007 and said, fuck that. We're just going for the best player and the best leader. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I, I suppose it had its merits. But, um, yeah, it, it created... Ownership for everybody to uh, ownership that everybody could be responsible for the team and the leadership group and uh, you know did its job. Uh, you, you spoke about 06 being a disaster. We, we generally, obviously, tend to prefer talking about the positives, but it is part of the journey. Um, I'm sure you've been asked about it a thousand times, and I, I don't know how you go watching it when you see it. But the the, the G and Syracuse incident, the the TV interview with David Schwartz and 
uh, obviously playing out the latter stages of the year in a helmet. Uh, when you reflect on that journey uh, and how tough that little period was, what are your overriding memories? You probably might not have a lot of the actual incidents themselves. Um, yeah, very tough period. I, I was really underdone. Um, I think I, at the end of 2005, I tore my quad uh, in a in a oh, not no, leading up to the finals, and then I had a, a serious patella. Uh, operation at the end of five. So six, the pre-season was really interrupted. So I felt underdone coming in. Uh, I hadn't played any footy, um, seniors or reserves, and, and was straight into the seniors in round whatever it was against the Dogs. And, you know, wasn't um, wasn't travelling the best. Obviously got knocked out and all the all the fiasco that, that, um, that preceded, preceded that incident. Um, Coming coming back was a huge mistake that year. Um, you know, I, I made a, a decision with my heart and and not my head to say, listen, toughen up, mate. The boys are going to play finals and you got to get in there and help them out. But, you know, in hindsight, I, I certainly would have taken that time off to to get that injury right and, and get going for the next year. So it, it was a pretty scary period coming back and playing those last couple of rounds. And then, and then I think... I think we might have played a final and got knocked out against Melbourne, OC. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a it was a pretty bad time, and it it it, um, it wasn't enjoyable playing footy. It was uh, it was pretty scary sort of sort of period. So anyway, we can uh, move on. How do you think that injury in particular and and that season impacted the rest of your career after it? Um. Yeah, yeah. I, I certainly changed the way I played. I certainly changed the way I, I thought about footy. Um, but in saying that, I I probably had my best years in in two thousand and nine and two thousand and ten. I reckon consistently. So um, it, it certainly changed the way I played and the, the way I thought about it and the way I prepared. Um, but yeah, it was a it was definitely a crossroad in my career, and who knows where it would have gone. But you know, Rossi came along two thousand and seven, and we had a really good chat, and he resurrected me as a as a player and a person, and um, he mentored me through that period, and and said I had a lot to offer, and um, yeah, as, as I said, I think consistency wise, two thousand and nine and ten were were probably as good as I got. Yeah, so 2008, um, G-Train eventually retires. So we sort of need a bit more key forwards between yeah, yourself and Rue. And do, do you feel like once he, once G-Train had gone, you sort of go, okay, I'm taking a bit more responsibility here. And it, it just all of a sudden clicked between the two of you. And you know, it, it just sort of, it, everything worked. And it was, if it wasn't, you firing, Nick would be firing, or it it just the two of you really worked well together at forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I, that was the first time I really played as a key forward or a permanent key forward. Um, and Rue was at the height of his game. You know, my instructions was to stay out of his way and dummy uh, lead, and you know, do all that sort of stuff. So, but we had great fun. Did I think G Train didn't he come back? Briefly, start of 08, played about four games, yeah. Right. So he retired in seven, did he? And then Yeah, the end of seven, then came out of retirement and then retired again about round eight of the next year. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so then 08 and then, yeah, I think 09, Rue and I played as permanent key forwards. I don't think I went once in the centre-bouts in 09, so that was sort of a change as well to, to sort of get a bit of continuity with him and um, do what we did. We've spoken to about 14 members of those grand final teams, I'd say, from 09, 10 now. Um, I guess we ask similar questions. When you reflect back on that era and those missed opportunities, is it one where you you reflect on it with pride that, geez, we were a good side, we gave it everything, we, we were right there? Or is there that just that little bit of frustration that pops in every now and then that, geez, we played well, but uh, we just didn't quite have it go our way? Yeah. <laughs> um... Well, I think you can answer that, mate. There's uh, there's a lot of times when when the frustration pops in and things didn't go our way. You know, I, 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 I you know, and, and anyone can 
can uh, can argue to the cows come home that I think we were the best side in 09, won 19 in a row and, um, you know, then a couple of finals to get in and, and I think maybe a second quarter when we kicked something stupid and we should have been a long way in front at, uh, at half time and, you know, I went down the wire and that was a war of attrition, that game. Like, at the time, it was in the wet against Geelong, two mature sides, 126 to 120 tackles or something. It was a world record at the time. It was a it was a brutal game. It was it was huge, and and to to lose that certainly hurt. And then, but but the pride and the effort that it took to get back in 2010, um, and you know, limp into the top four, get through. What happened? We. Uh, I think we beat Geelong. No, we beat Geelong and then and then got straight in the prelim against the Bulldogs. Um, yeah. Geelong and Collingwood had to play against each other in prelim. Uh, they were the, probably the two best sides that year and we, we caught Collingwood and 26 points down at half time in that grand final and, and Gardy had gone down with a, with a hamstring injury just before half time. So we were rucking down and throw the kitchen sink at him in, the, in that second half and to come up with a draw, obviously it hurts. You can't get any closer. But, you know, as time goes by, you're proud to play in it. You know, you play in front of 100,000 people and the nation watching and, you know, it's a, a drawn grand finals. It's, it's a pretty, pretty big deal in history and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be involved in it. Obviously, it's bitter not to win it. Talking about that that 2010 drawn grand final, obviously Gardner goes down in the first half, uh, 26 points down at, at half time. What was the messaging from from Ross at half time in in you know within the squad? And and what are your memories of of that that kind of the break between the, the halves and and uh, and coming out for the third quarter? Uh, I can't re- really m- remember much of a message from Ross, um, but I certainly remember Rue getting us together in the in the locker room and saying, you know, that this side has been together, the majority of the side have been together for eight, nine, ten years and we'd been through too much and we'd, we'd worked too hard to, to go and lose another grand final. So he said, take the scoreboard out of it, take the climb clock out of it, just play minute by minute and let's throw everything, everything at them and, and just see where we end up. And, you know, we went out there and, Chipped away and chipped away and 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 um, you know BJ takes that mark and put us up and we thought we were over the line but um, yeah it, it didn't happen. Guardy Guardy going down probably hurt us a little bit um, with Darren Jolly being a, a pretty dominant force that game and um, yeah I can't I can't really remember much about what Rossi said but I just remember Rui Rui saying that uh, he said one thing that. If there's anybody in this room that doesn't believe we can win, don't follow me out right now. Um, and that sort of just distilled in everybody that, that we can do it. And the following week yourself, you, how were you feeling going into the, the following week? Were you, did you feel as good as the week before? Did you feel like, oh, I have to go through this again? Is it just, is it feel like it was too much ahead? Obviously you didn't have to go through a parade and all that sort of stuff, but did you, keep the same routine as the week before? I was pretty hard to keep a routine. Um, we didn't have many training. I think we were we were pretty battered and bruised. Um, I had a busted ankle, so I didn't train that week. Um, no parade. It was a pretty low-key affair. We, we sort of went in thinking that if we put give, gave the same effort, we'd, we'd sort of get a similar result. We'd be in the game, but... It was, um, you know, looking back on it, we, we probably weren't much of a chance. Yeah, that's a perception from a few. Uh, the, the latter stages of your career as we transition from, from Ross Lyon into Scott Waters, as you know, we're a fairly uh, honest and unfiltered sort of situation. Uh, your relationship with your last coach, Scott Waters, and the club's relationship with him, and it, it appears from the outside that that could be summed up with you being used as a sub in your 200th in last game, which seemed a little bit disrespectful, at least from a supporter's point of view. Uh, how did you reflect on that? Oh, yeah, look, yes, yeah, Scott had a big job to do. I think the list was was probably fading a little bit. Um, he didn't have much coming up from the bottom. And, 
you know, we weren't going that well. But I, I don't, um, I don't disgruntle. I've got don't disgruntle what happened with that. I was, I was pretty underdone. Um, I knew that my time was done, and um, you know, it was was pretty mutual decision. I, I couldn't go again, and you know, I was disappointed with the sub in the last game, but you know. I'm probably lucky to get a game considering I was in. Now we can tell the the respect and the admiration that that you have for for Ross Lyon, your former coach, and I've heard a bit of a whisper that you do a pretty decent Ross Lyon impression. Can you give us a bit of a bit of Ross Lyon? Yeah, not tonight. <laughs> well, that's for special occasions, boys. <laughs> last time, last time I did it, Rossi was straight on the phone. It was like <laughs> I'm not going to put it out there again yet. We don't know if he listens, so. Um, but, yeah, in that last game still, did, did you go and find the umpire after the game or the, the, the video umpire and say, come on, what are you doing to me? What The video replay that was called back after the ball had almost been bounced in the centre again and everyone, I think, was already sitting back down and ready to go again and we're what's happening here? So it... it took a little bit away but yeah, yeah. It, was... it, it didn't really matter because um i celebrated i got to celebrate and uh, the boys got around me and you know to tell you the truth i sneaky i saw it shaved the post but i thought i'd kick i think uh i think i'd kick three points before that and i thought that's good enough i'm going up so i just uh got around it and um yeah, another day it would have been a goal, but they they brought the the review in. I think we we're about seventy up at the time, so it seemed a bit inconsequential to uh, to review it. But the last one from from me, um, I guess. What are you up to these days? I know you dabbled in a bit of media. You've I think you're back in the uh, in the country doing sort of bits and pieces like that. You you seem to be the type of player that would, would drift off into retirement, and I think enjoy that pretty well. That the the fact that you're maybe not in the limelight as much anymore wouldn't bother you all that much and, and you enjoy sort of relaxing a bit? Yeah, no, I've certainly, uh, I spent a couple of years out of footy um, when, I, when I retired and moved up uh, to northern New South Wales and had the opportunity to work at the Suns uh, in 2019 and 20 um, and, and really enjoyed that. Love love working with the, the young kids and the development side of stuff and going out with a coffee with them and, and seeing how it's going. And uh, then COVID hit and like so many other blokes sort of lost the role with the, with the salary cap and the footy department getting, getting sliced. Um, so I'm still up here. I'm still in Northern New South Wales. Um, I'm working for a pool, a pool builder, um, believe it or not, but uh, just doing that. I'm, I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a counselling degree. So, you know, once I, which is probably harder than playing footy, trying to study online. But uh, you know, once that is, I really want to get back into the AFL scene in the in the mental health side of things. And um, I really love what St Kilda's doing with the Danny Frawley Centre. And you know, and the Olive Branch has been uh, cast out there for me to to come back in some capacity. So you know, hopefully, back at the Saints and 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 working with those those sort of uh, that sort of institution. Rosie, last one from me, mate. Obviously, you had 200 game career. You're a top number two draft pick. Um, you took over the number 23 from a club legend in, in Stewie Lowe. How do you look back on, on your career at, at St Kilda and, and what's your relationship with the club like these days? Um, oh, you know, I look back on it with, with really fond memories. There's some ups and downs and built some lifelong friends and great memories and um, yeah, the relationship with the footy club's fantastic. You know, the, the Saints are playing up here on on Saturday, and um, you know, we'll, I'll, uh, I'll go along and, and support them, and, and go down the rooms and see them, and, and all the trainers are the same, and the medicos, and and whatever the playing group changes. But um, I feel like I feel like I'm at home. You know, I was down in Moorabbin last year and you walk in there and it, and it feels like home. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I love the place and I, I really feel welcomed when I go there and, you know, a lot of, a lot of players in my area have got things to do with the club, you know, Joey and Rue and 
And I think Nicky Dale looks after the academy and, you know, there's a lot of past players involved, which, you know, it wasn't, wasn't around when, when I was there. There wasn't too many past players involved. So it's good to have our era back involved in the club. Just the last one. First season, 2001. Towards the end of the season, the club decided to sell off the jumper and wear a yellow jumper and against Carlton one day. And one memory I have is driving home and an 18-year-old Justin Kazissi comes onto the radio on talking to Triple M, I'm pretty sure it was, and they described, oh, uh, how would you feel playing in the jumper? Do you remember what you described it as? No, it surprised me. To paraphrase it, you said, we look like a bunch of canaries. Did so, I? so it's something that stuck with me for a long time. So yeah, it's just that country kid coming through. It was it was great to hear, and it was just a little bit of something that yeah popped up, and I was like, yeah, I remember that. And um, probably, yeah, it was, probably get a bloody fine for saying that sort of thing now, would you? Most likely, probably. I reckon you would, uh, Cosy. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good luck watching uh, that young Jacob running around as well, too. Obviously, he's going uh, pretty nicely in his early days at the Hawks, so with the rising star nomination of his own, with with five goals last week. But you were a ripper for us, two hundred games over the journey. It was a, an eventful career, one that we got so very, very close to climbing the mountain a couple of times, and you were one of the major reasons why that happened. So, good luck with everything, and you hope to see you back in footy. It's uh, it's always been good to uh, to work with you over the years. Well, lads, good on you. Yeah, the last month has you know been a slight roller coaster with everything that we've done, and um, really to sort of change our our model with our team balance and and the way that we played today was a snapshot of what we're capable of and what we what we want to try and achieve. Now we're not going to get it all the time, and but um, that was that was really pleasing. Our work defensively, you know, were hard to score against. Around the contest, were tough and hard, and and then with our offense, we we looked potent again and. Um, to have 30-odd shots at goals, a you know, really good indicator for us that, you know, how well it went. But the more, the pleasing part too was, you know, probably over the last month, there's been players trying to maybe fix it themselves. But tonight was all about, you know, the work they did for each other and, and tried to make their teammate a better player. And I think that really stood out. Justin Kaczynski there and the thoughts of a happier Brett Ratton after uh, the third win of the season keeps us on track. We looked at the Gold Coast in terms of changes. It's probably not a lot to read into it. Loney and Dunstan played very well at the next level down. I think they had 50-odd touches and six six or seven goals between them. Um, I think that uh, McKenzie will be available, obviously, after that suspension. James Frawley got through the game. Carlisle obviously coming back in that little back issue, but um, I imagine the changes would be fairly minimal at this point. Um, yeah, it's a case of just getting the matchups right. So the, the Gold Coast have sort of found one with that young Corbett to play alongside Ben King in the forward line. Uh, obviously, they don't have a, a specialist Ruckman. They're getting smashed in that area, but going all right in the middle. But I look at last year when we, when we only beat them by four points. Um, Paddy Ryder was, was actually beaten that day by Wits in the ruck. So without Wits there, hopefully Ryder and Marshall can have a, a bit of a field day and give us give us first use. But Nick, I, I can't imagine there'd be too many changes. And, and Sandringham for the second week in a row gave up an enormous lead uh, within the running to get beaten. Yeah, it must be a bit concerning for, for Sandy having given up twice now, you know, four or five goal leads. Um, you know, with the, the second and third quarters. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's from all reports, it sounds like our, our listed guys got through pretty much unscathed. Um, James Crawley got through his, his first game and and w- was pretty handy. Tommy Highmore, um, 14 marks, 30 touches. I think nine of those marks came in, in the first half when, when Sandy was flying. Um, but you know, now is, is kind of the perfect time to bring him in. He's, he's just had a, a, a very, very good game in the twos. So confidence should be high. He's, he's proven that he's, he's better than that level. Um, and now it's kind of time for him to, to kind of, you know, get his, get his spot in the team. And I think he probably, he, I, I think he should come in for Dara Joyce and there's nothing against Dara Joyce. You know, he did, he didn't put a foot wrong last week or, or over the last few weeks. Um, you know, he, he was pretty solid, but I think, 
you know, Tom Highmore has has a bigger upside and you know he's young he's he's fit he's enthusiastic um he does his he does his role he hasn't done anything wrong I don't think he deserved to come out of this out of the team after after round one when when we dropped him um but uh you know I, I think he comes in and, and like I said it's nothing nothing negative against Dara Joyce I just think the upside is is higher for for Tom Highmore uh, I think Dan McKenzie will, will be spoken about. It seems like he's he's got the trust of of the coaching staff and and Rats and and the boys as well in in that kind of small defensive role um, without Patton and, and Geary and and sometimes you know they they push him forward for some defensive pressure up forward. Um, but you know it's 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 a it's a really hard one coming from a, a game where you've had such a, a dominant performance. Um, and you look at at Gold Coast and and they're missing a few of their prime movers in in Jared Witts in the ruck. Um, and Matt Rowell, who's who's their best player. You know, he's only played eight minutes of football, but he's clearly the, their best player and, and their their impact, you know, impact player in the middle. Um, but they've still got some some really workmanlike blue collar, you know, hard workers in, in the middle of the ground. You look at Tuke Miller and Hugh Greenwood and Brandon Ellis, and, and they, they run hard, they work hard, they chase and they tackle. And and if we don't bring the same intensity, if if we don't bring the same energy and the same defensive pressure and, and work rate as, as we did against Hawthorne, then, you know, they could very well roll us. Yeah, they haven't had a bad game at Metricon for a while. They play the ground very well up there. They've struggled a bit on the road, as, as young sides do, but even this year, so, that, I mean, they belted north at Metricon, which you'd expect. They flogged Sydney a couple of weeks ago, and they, I think they lost to Carlton by 10 points or something, um, which they didn't play that well. They got fairly well outplayed in that game, but they, they are fairly resilient at home. I can't remember the last time they had a genuine stinker on their own home deck. So we, we've got to be pretty careful. And H, I think the last four times we've played the Gold Coast, we've won by a point, two points, four points, and four points or something like that. So uh, if it's close, touch wood, I hope it doesn't happen that way. But if it's close, we're probably due for a bad luck result. But um uh, there's no reason why that should be the case, but but hopefully we can, um, you know, if we do get him, we can do it a bit more comfortably. Yeah, we, 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 I don't know whether we're kind of travelling along a similar path at the moment as them. We just seem to be very level pegged with them mm. over the last few years, and it, it always just seems to be a very close contest. Um, like you think back to a couple of years ago, then Gresham having the win it from the mm. boundary and. Then yeah, um, fighting, fighting to get over the top of them up in Townsville, and just some of these results, uh, we've we've pulled the win out last minute possible just to yeah, just to get over the line, and they they're definitely not going to be pushovers. That's that's an absolute certainty. So we've got to be on the ball from the f- first bounce because we've been up there a couple of times where it's it's been pretty ugly, and um, I mean. We go back uh, like five, six years. I can't remember what it was about, maybe 2014. And we had a reasonable siding with some like some aging stars, but we got absolutely annihilated and it just didn't even look like like getting close to them. So we know they can, they've got a couple of more seasoned players since last year with Alice and um, Greenwood's firing in the middle for them. And it's, it's, they're not going to be. And they're definitely not going to be an easy beat. So really, yeah, get out, get out early again. It'll be nice, but yeah, definitely won't be over until it's over. And as we're saying with changes, the team at the moment, if I don't know, is the list that we got in at the minute, is that a team that's ticking together and you go, okay, you don't change that unless you absolutely have to, because everyone just seemed to tick. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's probably minimal changes. High more for, for Joyce, maybe, but they might just sit there and go, well, Joyce hasn't done much wrong. Um, we know that, you know, Howard probably goes to King and then you've got, um, you know, Wilkie and, and Joyce and Webster to, to get the likes of Corbett and, and various others within that forward line. But yeah, that the game I think you were talking about, H, we, we'd just beaten Geelong. We were on top of the ladder. We were knocking on the door of the eight and I think we played them at Metricon and we're down 37 to one in quarter time or something. It was ugly. Um, really frustrating loss at the time. But, um, yeah, I, I think pound for pound, we've certainly probably still got more talent and a bit more depth, but, but they're an improving side. They're not the you know the laughing stock Gold Coast of the past. They should win at least eight, possibly ten, maybe more games this year. They're, they're not a bad side. They're pretty well coached. Um, they've got a good spread of talent. But um, I actually enjoy the prospect of playing them during the day. I think um, 
when you get those dewy Queensland conditions that mm. they've sort of played pretty well in the in those conditions over the journey. I think getting especially a day game in May, it's it's a bit more comfortable. It's not as sticky. It might be twenty two or something like that. Um, it just feels like that would be a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more maybe Melbourne like in a way. So. Um, yeah, I, I like the prospect of playing them in a day game. Um, and I think we're reasonably well placed. Um, as I said, it won't be easy because they're, they're a handy side. But I, I still believe pound for pound, it's a game we should win. Um, but, yeah, I, I certainly don't think it'll be easy. We're not going to be up six goals to zip or whatever we were against Hawthorne. It'll be more of an arm wrestle than that. Yeah, it's one of those ones where I think there's a, there's a really fine line between being confident and being arrogant and you know, we, we've shown what we can do in patches, you know, that round one, we kind of ground out that a really tough fought win in, in the wet in Sydney um, in the West coast game, you know, that second half was, was just unbelievable football. And um, you know, the, the, this Hawthorne game, we, we showed for four quarters, what we can do when, when we play our style of football, when we play our game, but you look at the, at the other side and some of those other games, the Melbourne and Essendon games, um, it, it looked like, we went into those games expecting to win um, off the back of you know last year's performances and and some of the the off season preseason expectations maybe we just kind of rocked up expecting to just win you know didn't, didn't have to work as hard didn't have to didn't have to try as hard and and you know we know how that panned out so you know if we if we go into this game with the same mindset same mentality as as we did against Hawthorne that we've got to be on from the from the first whistle the first, the first bounce then you know we're, we're a real shot at, at winning this game and 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 we should go into the game confident because we know that you know our best is is good enough to match it with with almost anyone but on the, on the other side if if we go into this game arrogant you know we're better than than these guys and and we don't have to work as hard and, and you know if we turn up only 90 percent or 85 percent of of you know who we are and what we do then you know that that's um, that that's real trouble for us, and and I think the coaching staff and, and rats and, and the guys have a task on their hands this week to to ensure that we go into this game with the same mindset and the same mentality and the same energy as as we did coming into into the Hawthorne game. Just looking at the forecast, it's actually going to be the best day on the Gold Coast on Saturday in the whole week, and it's actually quite wet at the moment. And come Saturday, it's going to be twenty six sunny and no wind, so it's. Yeah, it looks like haven't got a perfect conditions for a game. Or anything. Oh, yeah. No, no, doesn't give me that much. But yeah, perfect conditions what, for a game. So it's yeah, gonna be, yeah. 26 a little on the warm side, but it's not too bad. Like, I mean, I think most people, if you're going to go to Queensland, this time so, of year is not a bad time yeah. to go. So. No no excuses for poor skills. That, that, that It's going to be the, the key right. of the day there. That's right. And, and I can't remember them playing a lot of day games there recently. They, they Generally, their home games are Saturday night games or twilight games. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's not conditions that they, you know, or the time of day that they play that often. So, yeah, fingers crossed that it it goes the right way. Um, H, you mentioned that that skill level, and I think that's certainly something that we can still improve on. Obviously, it was you know, it was a pretty good performance last week against Hawthorne, but but you know it wasn't wasn't perfect by any means. And and you look at our efficiency inside fifty, I think we only went at fifty percent, um, which is probably still our highest mark for the the season so far. But there's there's clearly still improvements to be made, and and you're right in in these sorts of conditions that that we're expecting on Saturday afternoon. Uh, up on the Gold Coast, there, there really is no excuse for for poor skill errors. And you know, if if we go into the game, we we play our style of footy, our, our brand of football. And, you know, we'll we'll have plenty of opportunities to, to to win the ball, play hard and tough, but to move the ball quickly and and hit targets. And and you know, if we do that, then uh, you know we're a real good shot. And definitely be nice to win the battle of the kings. That would that would be <laughs> the good thing. Uh, uh, I'm interested to see whether we're actually going to get a shootout between them at some point, whether a perfect, there's going to be a perfect day for taking these big marks and yeah, is, is kicking is going to be the thing that, because we've seen Ben is Ben's a beautiful kick. Mm-hmm. We know. And Max we've been told is a beautiful kick, but he's just seems to be struggling just a little bit. So he gets it online and what was it last week? Two, four last week should have kicked Five, even six. Uh, it didn't really have any difficult shots. Uh, the the one on the run, if they'd gone through, that would have been magnificent. Um, another crumbing tall forward goal, which, yeah, mm. he's going to put some of these through and he's right, the nominations for goals yeah. of the week. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so 
we know he can do it on the ground. We know he can do it in the air, but just these set shots, get them right, and you got an all-round player who's who is really going to take us far. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, that's what we look forward to. That and uh, several other things as well. We look like we turned a corner on on Saturday. Obviously, that needs to be confirmed with a, another performance. So hopefully, when we reconvene next week, we're back on an even keel, and we feel that we have resurrected the season at somewhat. So uh, wherever you may be watching it, for those that are heading up to Queensland and, and for those, obviously last year we developed a, quite the Queensland family and we spoke to a couple of members of the Queensland Saints family. So hopefully they get along and enjoy their first game of the year. Having been sort of spoiled a bit in uh, in 2020, they'll, they'll enjoy getting along to another one in 2021. And for those watching it, wherever you are in Melbourne, Fingers crossed for a good result and, and go Saints again looking to this week against the Suns.